This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead, so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm late. Uh, it's raining here in Los Angeles this morning and so I'm redonkulously late. And you're seeing me sitting in a much better place than I normally sit because normally I'm at a desk and this, is, this feels much more like how I want my life to run right here. Uh, what you're seeing around me are just some of the many winners from the Autism Live 2022 Toy Guide. We haven't even announced all of them, but you can see some of them um, sitting around me. And we're, we're, the Toy Guide's going to be coming to you hopefully by the end of next week. And uh, we're starting to let companies know that they have won an award. And we're starting to film some of the things where we get to tell you about some of the toys because we've got some amazing toys coming up in the Festival of Toys that really starts next week. So I'm excited to be here. Sorry we're late. And uh, it's Monday. So on Mondays, we've been doing something called Parent to Parent where I pick a topic that you guys have been asking questions about and share, download what I have learned from 12 years of doing this show and interviewing experts both in this show and the show that I did before this called Everyday Autism Miracles and the things that I learned along the way. I always like to tell you guys that I'm not an expert in anything and boy that's really true today. We're going to get into that in just a minute. But for those of you, who, there are many of you who probably gave up and went, well, I guess they're not doing a show today. Uh, I, although I think that Traven put up something saying, you know, Shannon's stuck in the rain. And I was because it's LA and that's how it goes. Uh, it's like you, you can't you, you can be three miles away from something and you might as well be a million miles away. So anyway, at least everybody uh, got, I got here safely and everybody around me got here safely and that's the important thing. Hi, S Shark. So thrilled to have you here. This reminds me to tell you that uh, for this next hour, we're going to be live and you guys can be writing in, asking questions, making comment, uh, make, making multiple comments. Uh, you can, you know, you can talk about the toys. I can't talk too much about them yet, but we're going to be talking about healthy eating today. And boy, is that a power-packed thing. What is healthy to one person, yeah, maybe not so healthy to somebody else. So it's all very individualized, and we're going to talk about that, and we're all allowed to have our emotions because food is a primary reinforcer, which means that 
we we feel very distinctly about our food, right? So we're going to talk about that and many more things uh, in just a minute. But want to remind all of you that we are live right now. So and today is Monday, November seventh. You can be writing in like S Shark did on YouTube, or you can write in on Facebook, on Twitter. And we're live on about a dozen other sites as well. And our fabulous Traven in just a second here is going to show you guys some of the different ways that you can be writing in and calling, uh, calling it, writing in. We don't have the call in anymore. We need to do the call in again. Uh, would you guys like that? Write in and tell us if you would like to be able to call in live um, to the show. Also want to note that we're in our new studio this is what our studio actually looks like. When you guys see it, a lot of times we green screen out things behind me. Um, well, there was Traven showing you all the places where you can watch us. But we green screen out behind us. But when we're talking about toys, green is a pretty popular color in toys. So, and, and a popular color in packaging for toys. And it always makes it difficult, especially we have a lot of toy winners this year from a company that's one of my favorite, LeapFrog. And the packaging features green in it pretty intensely. And um, it makes it a uh, sort of crazy nightmare with green screen. So that's why we are without a green screen and probably will be without a green screen for a little while. But then you can see, you know, what, what the deal really is and what all the secrets are, that it's really green behind me so that we can be functional for different sets for different shows. Anyway, uh, Trayvon is showing you some of the different ways that you can listen and watch the show. And we hope that you will. We hope that when you find something here that you like, you'll share it with those that you think could use the information. If you are in a group of people and you're like, whether it's social media or face-to-face -face or, you know, virtual, whatever, and if you find something here, make sure that you mention it to people because... I had to do an interview the other day, and they were saying, you know, uh, we're surprised that we've never heard of you before. And I said, no, no, I'm not surprised at all because people don't know about us. But that's one of the reasons why you should subscribe to our YouTube channel and then let other people know about it as well. We like it when you like, when you share, when you do all those things. We really don't spend the time, energy, and money on marketing and advertising the show like, like many people think that we should. And I will tell you, you know, if we had a million people to do that, we probably would. It's not that we're trying to hide our light under a bushel. Oh, no. But we put our time and energy into creating content for you and hopefully finding a way for you to be able to access it because we all know that you access your content in different ways. So um, that's what we've spent our time and energy on. So we really appreciate it whenever you guys share what you find here and tell other people about it. And you can be writing in right now and, as I said, asking questions, so on and so forth. Uh, also want to say, I like to give the disclaimer at the start of the show, that today is a parent-to-parent -parent day. I don't want you guys to be confused at all and confuse me as an expert, especially today, because we are talking about healthy eating. And for those of you who watch the podcast in person, you know that uh, I struggle with my weight. So I am not somebody who's going to sit here and say, I have it all figured out and I know exactly what healthy eating is for everyone. That would be the last thing that would come out of my mouth, right? Um, having said that, um, you know, I've had a lot of experts on here that I've learned a lot of things about and I um, certainly have had the experience recently 
where it was like, oh, if I don't start eating healthy, it's, it's going to be curtains, as a friend of mine says. So I, I've made some changes. And in my diet, it's funny because one of my doctors said, if you would take the time and energy to eat healthy for yourself, like you do for your son, you would not be in this mess that you are in because I was in a bit of a mess. Um, and you might be there too. If you are, I'm sending you a hug. If, if some of your numbers have gotten out of whack for you personally, I'm sending you a hug. I'm letting you know that we have a choice here today to change things. Sometimes it's hard though because you don't know what to change. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today is a roadmap for being sane and being as healthy as you possibly can and, you know, viewing your body as your instrument and and putting good things into it, things that are good for your body, your individual ecosystem. And then when we have that, then we certainly are more effective at at helping our kids and the people that we love that are around us. So we're going to talk all about all that. So today's topic is healthy eating. Uh, and Traven's running my PowerPoint today because we're doing this in a different way. So whenever you're ready, Traven, uh, I'm ready for PowerPoint. Um, but the first thing that I want to talk about with the PowerPoint is that indeed it's really important. I already gave the disclaimer that I'm, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not an expert in this. I'm a student, right? Like the rest of you, but, oh, I am going to run it myself. Here we go. Thank you, Traven. Um, so, uh, really important that I I want you to look at this as a guideline for you as a place to self-evaluate or to go to the medical professional in your life and look at what is best for you. In fact, our very first slide here, um, is that healthy eating is an essential part of well-being. It absolutely is. It's that garbage in, garbage out kind of thing and um, good stuff in, good stuff out. Uh, when we put garbage into our bodies, we will often, you know, the, the insidious part about this is that we don't feel it instantly, but sooner or later, we're going to feel it. Uh, but here's the big disclaimer. However, what is actually quote unquote healthy for one person might be completely unhealthy for another person. And I really want to drive that home because there are things that friends of mine can eat, like chocolate. Let's just start there. I have, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of you occasionally have chocolate and you can have chocolate. I cannot. If I eat chocolate, that's a quick trip to the cardiac care unit at the hospital. I've been in the cardiac care unit before because I ate chocolate and it's got caffeine in it and I just simply cannot have caffeine. Uh, I also, you know, there's a whole lot of other things in chocolate that I can't have. Uh, don't feel bad for me because chocolate is not my, my particular poison. And clearly <laughs> I have other things I enjoy. You know what I'm saying? I have not starved for the lack of chocolate in my life. Let's say that. Um, but other people can have chocolate. In fact, uh, one of my grandparents was prescribed by her doctor to have a little bit of chocolate because of some of the different properties that the tannins and things that were in chocolate were going to help her with things with her body. So What is good for one is not necessarily good for the other, which I think makes this harder. 
because you look at something that somebody else eats and you think, well, I should be able to eat that too. But, but it may not be your story and it may not be your kid's story, right? And that's emotional. We talked about in the beginning that it's a primary reinforcer that food is at the core of when we were babies, all of us, we were fed and held and it linked up in our brain that, you know, food is, is part of love. It's part of the reinforcement in life. Um, and it's very hard to unweave that. We're not even trying to unweave that, but just, I just want us to acknowledge that this can be emotional. Um, I once was talking to a group of people that were young adults on the autism spectrum. And they, when I did my radio show, I was at the local community college because they wanted to be interns on my show. And I was so, so thrilled um, to have these fantastic interns. But they had me come in and talk to a group of them and at one point they were like, so what kinds of things do you cover on the show? And I said, well, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is the gluten-free, casein-free diet because that was really effective for me and my son and da 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 And the one young man, he said, well, I don't, I, I don't know these words, gluten and casein. I, don't, I said, oh, that's so funny. I didn't know them either. And I said, basically, it's, it's the proteins that are in wheat and bread because at the time all bread was, had wheat in it. Forget it. Uh, there was no gluten-free bread at that time. And I said, and the protein in cheese. And he said, are you saying that you want to take away my bread and my cheese? And that's all he heard from then on. I, I could say a million things like, no, I'm not trying to take away your bread and cheese. I would never tell you that you can't have bread and cheese. And he couldn't get past it. He was like, I, I, can't, I can't be a part of your show if you're taking away bread and cheese. It's emotional, right? Um, anyway. Uh, really important that we realize different for everybody. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what, what the promised land is. What would be the signs of healthy eating? And I don't know anyone, by the way, that has all of these things. So we're not saying that this is the, the arrival place and then you're done. We're just saying that these kinds of things are what we're striving for, right? So how about being not under or overweight? Don't our doctors love that? Because if you're underweight, that becomes a concern about is your body getting enough nutrition? And if you're overweight, it becomes a concern about wear and tear on organs and, and the structure of your bones and things like that. Um, and then one of the other things that we look to to see is, is everything working well is are you having healthy bowel movements? And this is partially consistency, but it's also, I know, we're going to go there. <laughs> and, but it's also partially like how often? Um, because I know people on both sides of this equation, people who are in the bathroom every 10 minutes and it's debilitating, right? And they're, they're going and it's, you know, it's not good. Um, and, and they're having cramps and all kinds of things. And I know people that aren't going to the bathroom or that have kiddos that won't go to the bathroom for 10 days. Of course, I'm talking about bowel movements here. And that, you know, that becomes really difficult because they're having all kinds of cramps with that as well. And you can get impacted. So we want to see healthy bowel movements on a, on a pretty regular schedule and that the consistency of them, sorry, hope nobody's eating, but uh, we want things that aren't too hard, aren't too soft. They talk about, you know, that if you turn around and there's an S curve in the toilet, that you're doing it right. 
Um, you can't always get that, but that's like woohoo when you get the S curve. Uh, by the way, when I, I don't know if I ended up, I was going to put uh, a thing in about hydration, and I don't think that I did. But same thing with urine, that what they really want is for it to be the palest yellow, like less than lemonade yellow, right? Um, and sometimes that can be a very hard thing to make sure that you're drinking enough water to get that, but not oversaturating, right? Uh, also, when we look at signs of a healthy diet, we're looking at do we have clean sleep habits that um, this, if you don't have good sleep habits, it isn't always, but it could be an indication that there need to be some changes in the diet. It could be as simple as removing caffeine after a certain hour. And for some people, that might be noon. For me, that would be ever, right? But that's not everybody, right? But are we having clean sleep habits where the person is going to sleep on a regular basis at the regular time that's ideal for good health and waking up at about the same time, not the occasional sleep in, right? But basically having the same and getting enough sleep and being able to stay asleep. As I said, I don't know a single person who has all of these things. So if you don't have all these things, don't panic. But also we would look at, you know, the blood, different markers in the blood to see if we're getting enough nutrition, we would look at blood sugar, we would look at cholesterol, and we would look at blood pressure and see if those things are within normal range. We would also take a look at the skin. If you have oily skin or dry skin or if you have psoriasis or other issues with the skin, maybe you're having breakouts um, or, you know, even tearing or... Um, you know, all kinds of things with the skin, because don't forget that the skin is your biggest organ in your body. And so when things aren't right diet-wise, sometimes it shows up in skin issues. Could be discoloration, things of that nature. Um, but how about this one? Because I think this goes to the core of a lot of things that we don't often think about with diet, but the ability to maintain appropriate focus. Now, notice that I put appropriate, not a number of like, you know, can focus for this amount of time because it's really personal. And it depends on the person's age and what they're, what they're being asked to focus on. If we were trying to get a two-year-old to focus on physics, good luck, right? <clears throat> but, you know, I know when I'm a little off uh, and, and having daylight savings time has definitely thrown me off this week. But uh, I enjoy watching a good movie. I, you know, we have a whole show here where we talk about movies and things because I love it so much. And last night I was sitting there and I was trying to watch a movie that I'd waited forever to see and I, I couldn't focus. And it was something that I wanted to watch, but I had too many other things and I was discombobulated and I said, I can't watch this right now. Like, that's not a good sign. That's when things are a little wonkinator. So we put these up as signs of, but I said it's the promised land. I don't know anybody that has all of these things. But what this does is shows some things where you might look at your life and go, that's not where I want it to be. Any of these things you could look at and go, you know, that's a little not where I want it to be. And all that is, it's not about recrimination. All that is is an opportunity to change something. And a lot of times we think, oh, well, I'm going to change, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to change the way I do my hair. I'm going to, uh, sometimes we go, I'm going to get to bed earlier. Sometimes we say I'm going to eat better. But 
I don't know that we often enough think about how much what we eat affects all of these things. And so I just wanted to put that out there, that it does have an impact. You know, there was a great deal of debate many years ago when people started to come forward and talk about specific diets having to do with autism. And in the beginning, when people were talking about the gluten-free, casein-free diet, oh my gosh, the kick, the, you know, the, what do I want to say, the pushback that came from that was just amazing. People were like, that doesn't have anything to do, even now, people say, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with anything. And I don't know how you could have that stance, because if you are sitting there and you are in stasis, which a person, anything that's living is never in stasis. But imagine you were sitting there, there's no input, there's, there's no output, there's no anything, and now you ingest something. Well, if you ingest water, what happens as a, a sequence of events is going to be different than if you ingest wine. And no one would argue that, right? So why would we say, and by the way, some people would have a negative reaction to drinking water. Some people can't handle water uh, or very, they can only have small amounts of water and other people can't handle any amount of wine and other people can drink, you know, a whole glass of wine and not feel anything while others will feel the effects of the alcohol in it, right? So it's very individual, but everyone is going to have some sort of reaction. It's just how big of a reaction to it. So to say that if you eat one kind of bread versus another, there will be no difference in your body doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't add up to being logical. I do think that there are a lot of people who can pretty much eat what they want for a period of time in their life, and they, you know, they don't have a big enough reaction to notice that, oh, you know, onions give me heartburn until maybe they're in their 40s and their 50s, and they, then you get my Aunt Mick who said, I love onions, but onions don't like me, right? So, um, you know, it's a, it's a cumulative thing. So all this does is says to us that we have an opportunity here to look at things and go, what would I like to change? And how would I like to change it? And how would that be good for me? That's really where I want you to be coming from. Now, when we start to go, okay, I don't feel well, and it might be some of the things on that list, it, now, this is so mainstream, you guys. I, I mean, my doctor recently went through these with me, and she was like, oh, oh, here's a new thing. Maybe you should go off of gluten. <laughs> I laughed right in her face. I was like, yeah, no, I've been gluten-free for 20 years plus. And she was like, really? Oh, well, then maybe you should go off of dairy. And I was like, yeah, no, I've done that too. Uh, right? Uh, but this was news to her as a mainstream doctor that these are things that she could now say to her patients, that some people feel better when they go off of gluten and other people feel good when they go off of dairy. That those really are two of the usual suspects when things aren't going great. And I know already I've lost some of you. You're like, I don't want to lose my dairy and I don't want to lose my gluten. I just want to say to you that years ago, and I'm trying to think how many years ago it must have been because it was probably like 12 years ago when my son was doing ABA therapy, we had two therapists that were on our team at one time. And I don't know what month it was, but they both decided that they wanted to go gluten-free to support 
my son, we did not ask them to do this. We were not interested in them doing this, but they felt that they needed to go gluten-free to see what it was like and to support my son. Uh, he was at an age where he was starting to be social, and I guess he was asking questions. I don't know, but they decided that they were going to do this. It was so fascinating. They made a commitment that they were going to go gluten-free, just gluten-free, for 30 days. And at the end of 30 days, one of them went and got tested and realized that she had celiac and said, my life is different. My whole life is different. I, I feel different than I've ever felt before. I can't even believe how life-changing this was. And the other one said, I feel like a fog got lifted. Like, I think I'm just better if I don't have grain um, and did that. So don't poo-poo it unless you tried it. And it's not perfect for everyone, and it's not a big bang for everybody, but for some people, it's a pretty big bang when you go off of gluten and dairy. But then, of course, now you're all going to hate me, sugar. Now, you can't eliminate sugar completely from your diet, but you can greatly reduce refined sugar. And that you might find that you feel better if you do that. I know because people go, no, I couldn't possibly because then I'm not going to be able to have my cheesecake if I, if I don't have that. I don't know that that's true because nowadays they make a, a, a gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free freaking cheesecake. I don't know what it's made out of. It might be whipped air. Have you ever seen the thing that they have the calorie-free whipped peanut butter? And I have it's like it says peanut butter essence and air. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's, I'm not advocating that. But I'm just saying, I don't I don't know that it means that you have to never have it again because there's all kinds of crazy things in the world. Um, but then next on the list are the artificial colors and flavors. I don't think you need those. Uh, I'll tell you, I think if you can eliminate those from your diet, you'll quickly go, yeah, I didn't need them. I don't know why they're there. I don't know what they're doing there. I really didn't need them. Real flavors and real colors are better. And guess what? Having things that don't have a color in them, you know, and they taste the same, who cares? I don't know why the American food industry has decided that they have to jazz things up with artificial colors and flavors. Because I'll tell you something, if it was that they were artificially coloring carrots, maybe, maybe I could go, oh, well, it's so we can get kids to eat them. But that's not what they're coloring. They're coloring cake, which the kids will already eat. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, do away with them. All right, then we get into pesticides. And if you watch the show before, you know that this is a big issue as far as I'm concerned that if you are having any difficulty focusing, which is really all of us, you want to reduce your pesticide load. They've done enough studies now, and everybody gets very dicey around this, but there is a correlation between the amount of pesticide, I can speak, residue in your body and in your urine, and it directly correlates to, to the lack of ability to focus. I can go into why that might be, um, and if you'd like to know more about that, please write in. But um, the pesticides, we're going to talk about it further in just a minute. But, you know, it, it's good to reduce them. I am not militantly telling you to have no pesticides. In fact, in the United States, that would be next to impossible. Um, but you can reduce. And when you do, I think you will see 
things change and you will be able to focus better and you will enjoy your life more if you have less pesticide. pesticide. I can't say that word today. Um, and then, of course, there's caffeine, which I already mentioned, that your doctor will tell you uh, is not good for you to have in a huge amount. Different things for different people, right? But these are some things that you could say, all right, I'm going to try to reduce or eliminate from my diet. And reduce or eliminate is a very big difference, right? If you're going on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet, you really need to eliminate them for a period of time. And I always say to people, you really should do at least a six-month really good, solid attempt to be off of gluten and dairy before you decide it's not working for you. And it's not as hard as it used to be. Now you can go almost anywhere, go to a restaurant and say, can I have the gluten-free menu? And they're going to give you the, not everywhere, not everywhere. Um, But it's much easier than it used to be. And um, the thing with sugar, as I said, you can't, you can reduce it. You're not going to get rid of it entirely. Nobody wants to be, they're natural sugars. You're not, even, you know, carrots have sugar in them. Um, But you can completely eliminate artificial colors and flavors if you're careful. And pesticides you're going to try to reduce and caffeine you can reduce. There we go. We're not taking, for me, it has to be gone. But remember, everybody's different. Okay, there are other considerations after you eliminate those things that are some things that you might want to look at and different reasons why. Now, um, nightshades, which are, for some people, incredibly healthy. They're my favorite things on the planet. Have a little ratatouille, it's nightshade soup is what it is. So tomatoes, eggplants, spinach, peppers, nightshade, 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 right? Um, And... uh, you know, if you are somebody who has inflammation issues, you might be asked to go on a nightshade-free diet. If you are having pain, um, and you know, this is a thing in my life that I have to balance all the time, that I know that if I went on a nightshade-free diet, I would have much less of my fibromyalgia and my pain. I absolutely know that. I've tried it, it but I, I, will, I am not willing to give those things up entirely. I'm just not. I've given up other things, but I'm not giving up my eggplant, not yet. <laughs> but, but if you are somebody, and there have been times when I've been in enough pain where I've said, okay, it's time to go off of nightshades for a little while, and it does help with inflammation. Uh, and we see that some of our kids have big, a lot of these things on this list have to do with inflammation. And if you're, and you've l- eliminated the other things, you're really trying to target inflammation. Uh, So many people find that carbs and different grains, aside from gluten, play a role in their life. We have a lot of people that are on keto diets for seizures, for instance, that if carbs are greatly diminished, again, you can't be completely without carbs, but greatly diminished, we see that sometimes people have less seizures. And there are other considerations besides seizure for carbs. Then there are salicylates and uh, the fine gold diet, which we've talked about before on this show a little bit. Um, the fine gold talk, diet talks a lot about salicylates, and salicylates uh, appear in natural foods like apples and uh, raisins and, and things of this nature. And, you know, some people find that if they reduce their salicylates, that they do better. This is where it gets very individualized, you guys. Very individualized about, okay, but you can't do all of these at the same time. 
But if you are finding that you've already done some of the things on the other list and you are not where you want to be, this is the next step to go. Then looking at oxalates, because being on a low oxalate diet, and some of these overlap, by the way, um, that you'll go, oh, low oxalate diet. Well, that goes along with, you know, some of these things are also salicylates. Could be that, could be that. Uh, animal products, some people uh, have, are re and, and this is both sides of it. Some people need more and some people need less that uh, we see that some people who are having stomach issues having whole animal products, like I'm talking um, bone broth and bone marrow, uh, is often very healing for those individuals. Sometimes things like camel milk is really good healing for different stomach issues. And then other people, we see that reducing and eliminating animal products is actually very helpful for them. So very individualized there. Of course, processed foods, you know, I think we want to be as careful as we want to be to get back to eating things the way they are grown. The more you process something, the more steps that you take away. So, you know, the wheat grows out in the field and then they separate the wheat from the chaff and then they take the wheat germ off and then they process the crap out of that. Then they pasteurize it and bleach it and whatever, pound it into flour. By the time it's in bread, it's unrecognizable, right? So the more it's processed, the, the, the further you get from the whole thing, the more you may, may, may have problems with that product. And then, of course, there's genetically modified um, foods, which I'm not a fan. We see that a, a lot of people come to me and say that, you know, they're in France and they can eat the bread over there and they're not having a problem at all digesting it. They Suddenly, you know, their, their celiac issues don't exist when they're in France eating bread. But here in the United States, where we have a lot of frankenfood on the market and available freely to people, people find that they just, they can't, they eat the bread and they're doubled over in pain. This just seems weird to me. And it could be that it has something to do with the GMOs, genetically modified, I don't know what the O stands for, uh, organism, I don't know. But uh, I, I like to prioritize getting things that are GMO free. It's harder and harder. I don't know that you can get corn, even organic corn in the United States that is GMO free. I don't, I don't think it exists anymore, which is very frightening to me. Okay. Uh, oh, uh, Traven says it is organism, uh, genetically modified organism. It's frankenfood. I'm not a fan of it. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about the controversy over when to eat, because it's not even just what you're eating, it's when you're eating and even how much you're eating. So uh, we all agree that, you know, having stable blood sugar is a pretty important thing, but some people find that the way that they maintain that is through periodic and intermittent fasting. I do want to say this, because we're going to get into talking about our kiddos in just a second here, and I think it's really important that we don't allow kids to get too far one way or the other right? Because if you, you know what it looks like if you jack a kid up on sugar, right? You jack a kid up on sugar and good luck, good luck teaching them anything, good luck, you know, having behaviors that you want to see, good luck having a connection with the child because they're jacked up on sugar. It might as well be a drug, right? 
But then I've seen the opposite too, where where parents, uh, especially new parents, but sometimes sometimes people are new even when they've been a parent for 12 years. You know what I'm saying? Where it's shocking to them that their child needs to eat because it's two o'clock in the afternoon and they haven't had lunch. We don't want to let kids get so low on their electrolytes and their sugar because we will see tantrums that will happen because they get uncomfortable. There's no need for that. I'm not saying don't ever let a child get even remotely hungry. That's not what I'm saying. But I think children need to get nutrition on a fairly regular schedule. Um, and, and we would never do um, fasting with a child. I know that it's very popular for a lot of adults, and I have adults that tell me, oh, I feel so much better because, you know, I don't eat between these hours and this hour. And a lot of times what it is is that people aren't eating after 7 o'clock at night, so their bodies get a chance to heal from the eating process, and they get up in the morning, and then, you know, I'm all for that. But for our kids, we want to make sure that they're getting a pretty a steady stream of nutrients and not going into any state of deprivation, right? For our kids, we, we just, it's not, it's not useful for them. It's not beneficial for us. Uh, it's not a good plan. Okay. So, and then there's schools of thought about, you know, do we make change? If I'm going to make a change, if I've looked at it and said, Hey, you know what? I'd like it. If my, you know, sleep schedule is better. I'd like it if my bowel movements were better. I'm in constant pain because I'm constipated and I want to change the way I do things. Do I change it gradually or do we make drastic changes? Now, again, if we're talking about with our kiddos, unless someone is in a medical state where the medical doctors are saying, we need to make a drastic change and we need to do it right now and we're going to be guiding you through this medically, I'm not a fan of drastic. I think that gradual is much easier. Now, there are a couple of exceptions, and I just said if it's medical and, you know, sometimes people, their blood sugar or their cholesterol is so high that the doctor says you have to start now and it's over. You can never eat this, like let it go, right? But I don't think that we're usually looking at that with our kiddos sometimes, but you would know, the doctor would say to you, no, today you have to, you know, change everything. Um... And the other exception is when you're eliminating something because you think there's a reaction for it, then I think, you know, starting out by eliminating it, like I tell people, if you're going to start a gluten-free, casein-free diet and you're going to get rid of the gluten and you're going to get rid of the dairy, I usually say start with one of them and not both at the same time. Do one and then the following week add the other. But I say get rid of it get rid of it and don't give a little because you're going to keep con uh, continuing the problem. But I also say make sure that you have a decent replacement before you start. So you don't just say to the child, no, you know, I know macaroni and cheese is the thing that you eat every day, but now you're not having it and we're never having it again. And how does that feel for you? Because there will be emotions that will come with that. And what, you don't need that. What, we're, not, <laughs> we're never about torturing anybody, right? But there are really good gluten-free, dairy-free uh, macaroni and cheese substitutes that you would want to have on hand so that you could just make that instead. And, and be like, this is the new mac and cheese. And they might be like, eh, it tastes different, eh, the texture, but you've still given them mac and cheese, right? So I'm, I much prefer uh, gradual to drastic, but I, I don't even think of that as drastic because if you have a replacement for it, that's reasonable, reasonable. 
not like used to be that we, you know, we had like asbestos tiles that were shaped like bread for gluten-free bread. We don't have that anymore. You have Canyon Bakehouse, soft, hoo-hoo-hoo bread, right? Last night I, I was at Costco and I got um, Scar bread that makes these there because I think it's German. And they package stuff in, in these little puff packages so that it doesn't go bad until you start to open it. And then, you know, then you got to use it. But they had um, the ciabatta rolls, soft, soft, soft as pillows at Costco. Gluten-free, gluten-free. Love it. Don't get me talking about food. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about feeding our children. And I think it's really important that we we all start with, okay, what's the goal? We want their food to be clean. I mean, this is so basic that sometimes we forget that you would never want to hand your child food that had you know, toxic waste on it. Like if, if, if something fell out of the car and rolled down the street, an apple, before you gave it to your child, you would appropriately wash it. You might even wash it with soap and water, right? Before you gave it to your child. So, and, and, you know, I mean, that's just like basic. We want to give our, our, our kids clean food, but sometimes we don't know what's on the food. Right? I can think of Meryl Streep back in the 90s uh, appearing before Congress and saying, what's on the food? And, and we still don't always know, but we know that there's stuff on the food, that they're putting wax on the food and they're putting sprays on the food and they're doing all kinds of nah, 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 on the food. Um, we need to clean the food before, before we give it to our kids. And now we know, and I'm going to talk in a second about the pesticides, making sure that stuff hasn't been dumped on the food because sometimes it goes through the skin and we don't want to give it to them because it's not clean. So when we talk about getting their diet clean, I'm not just talking about dirt, right? Or, you know, environmental, whatever. We're talking about making it as, as free, just food, right? As free of everything else that's not food, that's not nutrition on the food. To me, that's clean. We want it to be nutritious. We want it to have value. And different foods have different values of different things in them. It's a chemistry class that I can't teach. And we want it to taste good. It has to have good flavor in it, right? We're not, we, food is love. So we don't want to feed our kids gruel. Um, even if it's nutritious and even if it's clean, we don't want to feed them gruel. We want, we want for them to enjoy it. We want it to be flavorful. So if we come at it from that perspective, then uh, where do we start? And I think that it's really important as a parent to ask yourself these questions. What does the poop look like? Here we are. We're having the poop conversation. Does the poop look like poop? Is it formed or is it soup? Sorry. Um, you know, what color is it? Because if it's yellow or brown or black, that's different, right? And it leads to different discussions. Does it float? Does it sink? Uh, is it cracked? Is it, you know, is it falling apart? What does it look like? And listen, there are all kinds of things online from I remember when I was getting ready to have Jem, they made us take a class and, and one of the things they did was they put up all the different poops on the, and I went, what is this? But they were talking about, well, if your child's poop looks like this, you might need to do this. And they have that for older people too. It's gross. <laughs> we 
don't want to pretend it's anything other than gross. But there are clues to things that, you know, if your child is having poop that, for instance, that, that comes out in little puffs that float, that's an indication maybe that a gluten-free diet is not only something advantageous, but might be necessary, right? Might not be, but it could be, right? Um, so the poop, and you can go online and, and look up pictures of poop and you will learn a lot. Yes, I just said that. Um, how, is, uh, how is the sleep going? Is your child sleeping through the night? Are they restless in their sleep? Do they wake up and they're groggy? Um, you know, what, what is this? Are, is, are they hard to get to sleep? Are they somebody who can't stay asleep? Uh, all of these things are pretty key, right? They're clues. Uh, is your child learning right now? Or is your child stagnating? Or is your child unable to focus? Because those things are indicators that there might be room for improvement. How about what will your child eat? And so often this to me is a big clue. Because if somebody says to me, well, my child only eats things that are brown or yellow or white or uh, orange, right? Then, then we're getting into food selectivity issues or, oh, my child will only eat things that are crunchy or, oh, they only will eat things that they don't, won't crunch, right? So what will they eat? And I think it's important to make a list of all the things that your child will eat. And, and in a second, you're going to look for a pattern. That's two questions down. Because the other question is, what won't your child eat? I remember there was a time when Jem didn't like anything in his mouth that was cold and he didn't like anything that was like a creamy consistency. Oh my gosh, ice cream is like my favorite thing on the planet, right? I don't eat ice cream anymore, but it used to be my favorite thing on the planet. And, and the fact that he didn't want something that was cold and creamy, not only could I not understand it, but his grandmother couldn't understand that. She was like, ice cream is the thing in life. Why? And he would spit it out and go, pah, pah, pah. didn't want it, right? Um, different strokes for different folks, right? And it's important to know because these are clues to being able to effectively help your child eat as healthy as possible, right? Because if you know that they love something that's healthy, well, we're going to use that as the basis for a whole lot of things, right? Or if you know that they absolutely hate something, we're going to avoid that until it's time to deal with that. We're going to get them as healthy eating as possible until it's time to deal with that. So again, we're looking for patterns. Uh, patterns are key because they're going to show us what's happening. Uh, it's very essential that before we go too much further, we have the conversation about failure to thrive. This is the thing I think that we all worry about the most. Well, my child, if I change, my child's going to starve. And for some people, this is a very real fear because if your doctor has said that your child has failure to thrive, then before you do anything when you're changing diet, you want to be working with experts. Just, you know, because you don't want to mess something up if your child is already having problem eating enough to maintain their weight uh, failure to thrive means that they, they're not, the nutrition is not, for whatever reason, is not getting to them, and it's a, a big concern. And at that point, you really want to be working only with professionals. But if your child is at a healthy weight, maybe even, you know, a few pounds overweight, you can change your child's diet and not be afraid that they're going to starve. Children will, if the child is eating enough to maintain their weight, they will eat when they are hungry, right? Um, we're going to put a whole bunch of asterisks after that because we're not going to force someone. 
We're going to make sure that it's kind and that it's judicious and that we're always offering foods that we're not starving somebody. It's not, oh my gosh, who's the mommy, the mommy dearest who was like, you eat that or you eat nothing. No one is talking about that here. You know, if you watch the show, I'm about being kind to people. Why would you be mean to your child and say, you know, if you don't eat what's on your plate, then you don't eat for the next four days? No. That's the way to traumatize someone into never wanting to eat again. We don't want that. But if you have a child that has failure to thrive, please make sure that you're seeking medical care before you do any of the things here that we're talking about. Um, When does your child eat? Uh, Because sometimes there's sensory things that will keep our children from eating. My son, when he was around other people, um, and this was true of him when he was a little baby. Like I, if I, they would always say, you know, when you're breastfeeding your baby, make eye contact, that that's the ideal thing to do. Except if I made eye contact with my baby, he stopped sucking. And eventually the doctor was like, yeah, I see that. Yeah, don't look at him while he's eating. <laughs> because that is too powerful for him and he's going to pull his focus into the social interaction. That should have been my first clue. I know. But um, it's even true of him now. He's not a big social eater. If he's going to go out with people and he loves to go to restaurants with his friends and they eat and whatever, but he likes to converse and and then he takes a doggy bag home with most of his food in it, even now. So, um, you know, I would know that when I sent him to school with a lunch and I would put lots of little things in his lunch, hoping that he would eat them. But nine times out of 10, he would come home with that lunchbox and he would eat most of it in the car on the way home as a snack hours after lunch because he was busy socializing and he didn't want to do both things at the same time. You might find that you or your kids have a whole set of issues around when they eat and how they eat. But here's the big question. Are you willing to make some changes? I said earlier, I'm not willing to let go of eggplant right now. Now, visit me in a couple of months. If I'm in pain, you know, if I start having back pain, then I'm like, oh, it's not worth it, right? Um, But if you're willing to make some changes, then there's a whole lot that can be done and you can start moving towards you feeling better and your kids feeling better. But if you're not willing, don't judge that. If, if what you have right now is your food and you want to eat your food the way that you do, I don't want to upset the status quo. But when you're willing, let's continue on to the next thing to talk about some of the things that you can start to do. Because people always say, I want a roadmap. Now, this is not set in stone. This is just my particular take on it. If I had it to do over again, where would I start? What do I usually tell parents? But if you feel strongly that you want to start with number four, do it. This is just for those of you who are like, I just need to know what to do first. Because I think this is the kinder, gentler way on you and your kiddos, and it sort of builds upon itself. But notice that it says at the top of this slide here, steps to take when starting if medical intervention is not indicated. If you have any kind of failure to thrive, that's your step one. You go and get medical help and support for that, right? But if, you, if that's not your story, then what I tell parents is the first thing to do is to reduce the pesticides. I will tell you it's one of the easier things to do, but it's a little expensive. And so I would say reduce the pesticides and try to go like 30 to 60 days of less pesticides 
you might see that you or your child goes through a period of time where your body just sort of starts releasing toxins um, and that you'll feel better afterwards. Now, in a second, I'm going to talk about how you can reduce the pesticides and not be as, as, as expensive as it might be. But let's put a placeholder there. The second thing is that I say let's reduce and, or eliminate as much as possible the artificial colors and flavors. Now, this is a little bit harder, I think, than the pesticide thing, depending on what time of the year that you're doing it. Because there's some, when you look at a grape, when you look at it, it's really hard to distinguish between something that is uh, organic and something that's covered in pesticide. You will, after a period of time, after only having organic produce, start to notice little changes and you'll go, hmm, I kind of like the one that's organic better. Although sometimes you get inferior produce with the organic and you might find the opposite, right? But when you're, when you're slipping it to your kids, your kids aren't going to notice that it doesn't have pesticides. It's, you're going to notice it because their focus is going to be better. And having better focus is going to be, help, be, be helpful with the rest of the things. But when you start removing the artificial colors and flavors, that's when your kiddo is going to start to notice, hey, this isn't what we had before. Why aren't you giving me that macaroni and cheese? Well, because it, it has yellow dye number seven in it. Uh, I don't think that's the number, but you know what I'm saying. You're going to start to read labels, and you're going to start to go down a rabbit hole when you reduce artificial colors and flavors, and you're going to go, why did I not notice this before? Don't berate yourself for that. You know, really build yourself up for the fact that you're taking the time now to read the labels and you're going to start to notice all these artificial colors and flavors. The colors are going to jump out at you more often than not because they have to list them, whereas it'll just say artificial flavors. But I'm going to encourage you that when it says that, pop it right back on the shelf. You don't need it. Look for the one that doesn't have it. Sometimes it's not as convenient and sometimes it's more expensive, which seems crazy, right? Why am I paying more for them to leave colors out? Because they put more flavorful things in and they're charging you for it, right? But I do think that if you reduce the pesticides and you reduce, eliminate the artificial colors and flavors, you're going to see a child who's already transitioning to being, you know, having a little bit better focus, maybe having fewer tantrums, maybe. Uh, so then we get to reducing the refined sugars. You could start there, but your kids are going to flip out if you start there. Whereas if, you, if you've reduced the other things, it might be a little bit easier to detox off of the sugar. Now, with the sugar, I think it's really important with kiddos to not do cold turkey, to go slow with this. Because there is a thing, die off, when you stop putting sugar in their diet. There's something called the, the Herkimer effect where... People get headaches. They get shaky. Their body has to regulate to it. So I encourage you to go slowly with the sugar thing. Be kind. Don't be mean. But then next step for me would be at that point removing the gluten dairy. I already said to you I would do one and then the other. A lot of people prefer to remove the dairy first. I remove the gluten first. There's no rhyme or reason to it. You do what feels better for you. But I will tell you that if you're having problems with tantrums, I, I would do the dairy first because dairy in some kids causes tantrums. Dr. 
Phil Donahue did Dr. Phil Donahue, Phil Donahue, not Dr. Phil. Phil Donahue did a show back in the, I think the late 80s uh, on this uh, with children and dairy. You can find it on YouTube. It's Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, some kids have an issue with dairy. Uh, but then number five, once you've eliminated all of these things and Obviously, when you eliminate gluten and dairy and sugar, you got to put something else in and it's got to be good. Now, I've done this with people before, my son, my husband, myself and others in my family. Um, And what's interesting is I always think about my husband who, when we started dating, had not had a, a, a real apple in a decade when we started dating. I was like, who are you? How can you not have an, you haven't had an apple? Like, how can that be? Um, and we removed some other things from his diet because he was like, I want to know. And then he had an apple and he was like, this is the most amazing thing under the sun. How did I not know that apples were so amazing? But if all you're eating all day is sugar, an apple doesn't taste that great. But if you take the sugar out and then you start putting fresh fruits in, you'll see your kids will love eating those fresh fruits. Um, and, and make sure that they're plentiful, right? Same thing with gluten and dairy. You know, if there are other things to replace it, it's, it's still going to be emotional because sometimes the texture is off and our kids are real texture kids. Um, but they will get there. But number five is address the food selectivity issues. This is where it's like, well, my kid will only eat this color. Um, my, my daughter will only eat this texture. Uh, my, my son cries every time he sees a banana. These things are very real in the autism community, and I wouldn't even begin to address them personally until I had taken care of some of these other things. Because it's sort of like, you know, saying to somebody, we're going to do the hardest thing right now. The thing that scares you, we're going to do that first. Whereas if you get them feeling a little bit better, then you can be, I think you can be more effective when you get to those food selectivity issues. But again, Notice the asterisk. If you have, if medical intervention is where you're at, take their advice. They're going to tell you if they're going to deal with the food selectivity first, because if your child isn't getting enough nutrition, it might be that that has to be first, right? And then once you've done all of those things, that's when you would go back and evaluate and say, okay, we've done all of this. Now, do I need to do a diet where we eliminate or reduce the salicylates. Now do we need to do the specific carbohydrate diet? Now do we need to do the keto? Now do we need to do the low oxalate? There's a million diets out there and it gets real selective. But if you've done these things, you're going to be in the best place to then evaluate and go, well, I'm still having gut issues. So is that a grain thing or is that something else, right? Uh, you won't be like, well, is that just a pesticide thing? Because you will already have reduced or eliminated that. Uh, Okay. Uh, Now, I promised you that I was going to talk a little bit about reducing the pesticides because if I said it was number one, then I want to give you guys homework for what you could consider doing today if you wanted to make changes. I see S-Shark says diet equal, poop plus diet equals important. Yes. Uh, Hi, Michelle. Good to see you. Johanny. Uh, hi from the suburbs of Philly. I lost track of time and was listening to the podcast from what I missed last week. Thank you for posting things, Trayvon. Much appreciated. Well, we were late today too, cause I got caught in the rain. So if you joined late, you might not have been as late as you thought. Cause I think it was 20 after when we started, but anyway, uh, 
so how do we reduce the pesticides? It's not a one size fits all, right? And I really want to say reduce the pesticides. So you do the best you can on any given day. And that's it. So I super love on uh, the Environmental Working Group, it's www.ewg, which stands for environmentalworkinggroup.org. They are famous for having the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen lists on their website. And I try to go in and look every year, but you know, I don't think I had looked at the 2022 until last night. And I was looking at it. And I was like, this is so fascinating because they have the clean 15, but of the clean 15, they give you an asterisk that three of them are more than likely in the United States from uh, GMO seeds. And that if you want to be non-GMO, you might want to eliminate those three as well. And it used to be, you know, every, every year it kind of changes because think about it, pests change, right? And what I love about what Environmental Work, Working Group does is they will test the food during that harvest season to say what got pesticides dumped on it because there was a blight on this or a blight on that. That a couple of years ago, um, apples were on the clean 15. Well, they're not this year. They're on the dirty dozen. Things like strawberries are on the dirty dozen this year and tomatoes. Just the other day, I was at the grocery store and I'm trying to buy low sodium um, spaghetti sauce, but I also want it to be organic right? I want low sodium and I want it organic. These are hard to find if you're not at the right grocery store. And I found one that was low sodium, but that it wasn't organic. And I was like, oh, how bad could it be? And then last night I saw tomatoes got dumped pesticide um, this year. So I won't do that again, right? Uh, So this is one real sane way I think that we can all kind of look at the clean 15 and the dirty dozen and, and you make a commitment to yourself that I'm going to try my level best to avoid the things on the dirty dozen unless they are organic. So even if I'm a restaurant, unless it's a real special occasion, I'm going to say, uh, I'm not going to do that. Like, I love peppers. Nightshade. Uh, <laughs> I love, love, love peppers. I love them fresh. I love them cooked. I love them with the skins on. I love peppers. Um, But they are very much almost always on the dirty dozen. So I try not to eat peppers when I'm out. Like if we go to a restaurant, I try to make sure that it's a restaurant that does their produce organic. Like, you know, Sharky's, I think I... I haven't been there in a while, but uh, they were doing, they were, had a commitment that their stuff was organic. So, you know, then I would have whatever I was having and I could have peppers on it. But other places I just say, I'm going to wait and eat those at home. Uh, It's a good guideline because it helps you to make informed decisions at the grocery store. Because the Clean 15, what they're saying to you is that we've tested these and there's not enough pesticides on these to be of concern, so you don't have to buy it organic. I will tell you that the store gives you some indications because you'll see that they'll have the orange that's not organic and the orange that's organic, and often they have them sitting next to each other and touching, which they're not supposed to. They're supposed to be completely separate. Um, that's one way of knowing if your grocery store is really doing things right. Because, you know, if you've paid for it, you're paying extra to not having it be exposed to pesticide. And if it's sitting with the thing that's and touching the thing with pesticides, how clean is it, right? But often they will be sitting next to each other and 
you know, sometimes it's 10 cents more, 20 cents more a pound to get it organic, right? And sometimes it's three times as much. And usually when it's three times as much, it's an indication that it probably is something that they're charging you through the nose for it because it was a really hard season to grow it organically uh, because they dumped pesticides on the other stuff. And sometimes that's the year to just sort of skip that, right? I think it was last year that uh, there, I love a good Honeycrisp apple in the fall. And boy, you couldn't find Honeycrisp organic apples. And if you could, they were so expensive last year. And I have a feeling that that's because it was sort of a challenge to grow them. This year, though, it feels like they're almost exactly the same price. So uh, ironically... The more, the bigger the price differential, the more important it is. But sometimes it's, it's just not worth it. And that's the year that maybe you go, okay, well, this year we're, you know, last year I was like, I guess we're not having a lot of Honeycrisp apples because um, I don't want to have it with all the pesticides dumped on it. But here's another thing. You can grow a victory garden. Our grandmothers and your great-grandparents grew victory gardens during the war because there wasn't enough produce for them to get their hands on. So they planted a garden. And there are, people have victory gardens all over the place. There are community gardens. If you don't have a place, let's say you live in an apartment, I'll bet you that your community has a community garden and you pay a small amount to have a plot of land that is yours. And they almost always say that it's got to be organic in deference to the, your um, gardening neighbors. But uh, then you want to start with good seeds. I love a good heirloom seed that's non-GMO. Um, I, you know, we can talk more about that another show. I, I love Baker heirloom seeds is where I usually get my seeds from and grow what you want, grow what you want and, and have it in abundance during that time of the year. You can also, if you're not into farming for yourself, which a lot of people are like, yeah, no, I want to be able to buy it. Um, there are times of the year when it's harder to get organic produce, but you can always join a CSA. You can Google that in your area and say, you know, organic CSA, and there are a lot of them out there. And basically what they do is they put together a box of, and you can specify that you want organic produce every week, and they drop it either at your home or at a location where you go and pick it up. Many people find that to be really wonderful. You can also go to a farmer's market and they have to, they, they mark things if they're certified organic. What I love at a farmer's market is that if you go regularly to the same farmer's market, you will get to know people. It takes a long time to be organic. So there will be people who say we're, we're growing sustainably, which means that they might be working towards the organic or they're not even going to go for the certification. But if you get to know them, and trust them and they say I'm not putting pesticides on that or here's the pesticide that I am putting on it and if you decide that's okay you know there you go I love a good farmers market uh, but during COVID I lived for a CSA because I would get my delivery of my organic produce and I also dug up half of my front yard and planted vegetables in my front yard that's what I chose to do uh, but you can also shop the organic section of Costco, Sprouts, Whole Foods, or your neighborhood store. They almost always have a clear defined section now in most stores that says organic in the produce section. And that's where I go. I just walk by everything else and go to the organic section. And it gets bigger and bigger. 
I will tell you that I, I sort of listed them in my order of my favorite because Costco, God bless Costco. Costco is really killing it in terms of having organic produce and having gluten-free stuff. I find it really um, crucial and essential to our shopping experience that um, there are so many things that I can get now at Costco and it really makes me happy. I, I want to say that I was a part of that revolution because every week I used to go and say, where's the organic stuff? Where is the gluten-free stuff? And I would stuff it in their little suggestion box. And maybe, uh, you know, a thousand other parents did that too. And maybe we moved the dial. I, I'd like to think so. Sprouts has always been really good about this. I love Sprouts because it has this amazing feel to it. And you walk in and, and it feels like an open market, Right. But they have one section that is just organic. I don't bother going to the rest. Although Sprouts always has good sales. I stop by and they have a sales section that it's, it's the things that are really fresh and in uh, season. And they have great prices on organic produce uh, when it's in season. And they have it marked clearly organic. And Whole Foods does a really good job of having those things as well. And they... Um, they buy locally and they will market saying this is locally sourced. I like that too. But even your local grocery store, and I travel around and go places and wherever I go, I go to the grocery store because I, I have, you know, if you're going to eat this way at some point, you know, you got to go to the grocery store. You can't just go on vacation and not go to a grocery store. So I go everywhere. And, you know, I remember years ago going to Texas and, you know, forget it. I couldn't find anything. And it's so much better. I was just in Texas and I went to the grocery store and I was like, look at this. It's a revolution. Um, it's so, 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 so much better. Uh, so if, if it's not there now in your, in your neighborhood store, say something. I, for years, I would go visit family in Iowa and we had a real hard time with the gluten thing. And then overnight, it was like Iowa got the gluten thing and understood it. And I could get more things at the Iowa store than I can in the California store. There are things that I have to special order in California that I can get on the shelf at a high V in Iowa. So don't, don't be afraid to talk to your store manager and say, get this inside. Okay, so here's one of the keys to healthy foods and getting our kids to eat them. And it's that we have to offer healthy foods. And, and, and it has to be our first line of defense. There comes a time in every day when our kids get hangry, peckish, whatever you want to say, and they want food. And it's usually, for instance, when they get home from school or that afternoon thing. Um, and I, I have a friend who didn't have gluten-free children, but she would always have cut-up vegetables in her house. And at a certain time when she started to cook dinner, which is when everybody would come into the kitchen and be like, hey, mom, what are we having for dinner? I'm hungry right now. And they would wreck their dinner, right? And she would put out a platter of cut up vegetables and fruit and put it on the counter and say, that's what's available. And if they were like, I don't want that, she would go, okay, then you don't have to eat that. But that's all that's available. The kitchen is closed right now because I'm cooking dinner that's what's available. And, it, and it, she didn't give them a lecture. She didn't give them a hard time and go, you didn't eat that or wah, 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 right? Nothing. She just put the platter of food out and she found that often her kids would eat one, two, and three servings of fruits and vegetables before dinner. 
I know it sounds crazy, try it. Because, and it may not work the first day, it may not work the first week, it may not work the first month, but eventually, and again, this is all with the asterisk, if they have failure to thrive, talk to your doctor before you're doing anything. But if your kid is not underweight, put out those vegetables and see what happens. And don't get into the debate society. Don't feed into it. Just be like, this is what's available. Uh, and see what happens. It has to be the first line of defense to offer the healthy foods. You've got to do it without lectures or punishment. There's no discussion about it. Don't enter into the push-me-pull-you about you should eat this. No. You put it out. And if they don't eat it, you know, you, you bag it back up and you put it back out the next day. And at a certain point, you throw it and you make some stock, right? You throw it in a soup pot and, and you do whatever with it or puree it and stick it in the meatloaf, right? I'm a big fan of that as well. But no lectures. This is what the food experts have found to be effective is we present healthy food and we just stick it next to everything else. They say the same thing with the dinner plate too. If you're serving peas, put the peas on the plate next to everything, but don't have an argument about it. Just put it there. And if your child doesn't eat it, you know, they say that you have to present it, I think it's some crazy number, like 22 times before they're likely to taste it, right? Just put it there. Make it a normal part of whatever that there's a vegetable on the plate. If they're having emotions about it, let them have their emotions about it. But don't get punitive about it. Don't lecture them about it. If they're sitting there and crying because the peas are on the plate and they're pushing them off the plate and putting them on the table, then that means they've had some sort of a thing with peas before, right? Don't make it worse. Let them push it off and put it on the table and, and have no reaction to it. It is a performance for you that they're saying to you, I really, really, really don't like this. Okay, you don't, you don't need to do anything about that. Keep presenting it. Eventually, it will become less of a big hoo-ha. You're not forcing it, them to eat it. You're not forcing them to taste it. End the arguments at the dinner table, but present it, right? And give them choices. So if they're very clear with you and go, I hate peas, okay, then put a couple of peas and a couple of green beans. And again, don't say, well, you have to eat the green beans because you're not going to eat the peas. Nothing. Just present it. This is what the food experts say, present it. Later on, there are more things that you can do, but a lot of our kids, by time 22, they'll put it in their mouth. I know, sounds crazy, but it happens, okay? The other thing is you have to model the behavior. So don't put some, this is so simple, you guys. Don't put something on their plate that you don't wanna eat. What? What did I just say? If you hate wax beans, why are you putting them on your child's plate and expecting your child to suddenly turn into a human being that likes wax beans? So pick the vegetables that you like, that you will eat, and if you need them jazzed up for you to eat them, then maybe your child needs them jazzed up too. Be mindful, children's taste buds are much more reactive than ours. So don't make things too spicy, right? Too salty for them. Don't overcook for them because their taste buds haven't died off yet like ours have. But model the behavior. If you're never eating vegetables in front of your child, what would make your child want to do that? But if you're eating vegetables in front of children, they will model the, they become curious. 
They want to know what it is. My, my one little niece that I was sitting there eating a big bowl of zucchini, and she was like, what are you eating? I want some. And I, I said, it's zucchini. And her mom said to her, oh, honey, you won't eat that. And I was like, why would you say that? Say, what are you doing? Uh, she wants to know what it tastes like. And, and I was like, you know, you sure you want to try? Yep, 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 I want to try. And she tried some of it, and she made a face, and she was like, that's terrible. And I was like, well, I'm not forcing you to eat it. But now she eats zucchini. I'm just saying. She came to my house this summer, and she ate zucchini. Uh, you know what I mean? So things change over time. But of course, we want to reward good eating habits. So instead of giving the lecture about, well, you know, we have to eat a vegetable, like Charlie Brown, right? Instead of that, just nip all of that. And instead, say, oh, look at how, look at how good you're eating your vegetables, right? But make it something that you'll like. If you love snap peas, that like the in the pod, the sugar snap peas, then that's what you fix for your kids, and you eat them, eat them in front of them. They want to, they want to do what we're doing, and if we make it look like it's good, then suddenly they want it too. I eat vegetables, and I love my vegetables. And whenever I'm eating my vegetables, everybody wants some of my vegetables. So here's my parting thing for you about eating a healthy diet. Seek balance, not perfection. I feel like that's the key to everything. I'm not very good at that. Can I admit that? That's hard for me. Um, but a balance of things. So when we get all black and white and go, okay, well, I never, ever have this. You know, you got to look at why. So I don't have gluten. I don't have any gluten at all in my diet. I know why I don't have gluten because my body doesn't handle gluten well. But I have all the things in my life that I used to have that were gluten. I have those in my life now. I'm not, I'm not withholding them from myself. You know what I mean? And for me, that's the balance. The balance is that I can have that. I'm just going to have it in a slightly different way. It still tastes good to me. You know, now the texture is so much better because people have done it better. Thank you, Canyon Bakehouse, uh, <laughs> for making bread that's soft, that you don't have to toast, that's gluten-free. It's a revolution, you guys. So find the balance for yourself. And it doesn't mean that you can't ever have something that's not healthy, obviously. That's the balance, right? So I hope that uh, we all got something out of this today and that you guys will take really good care of yourselves and of your kiddos. And if you see things on that list of questions like your child isn't learning, your child isn't sleeping, your, your child is you know, having a rough time, that you'll find the willingness to say, okay, what would I like to change? And what do I want to start with first? I gave you a roadmap that you may or may not want to follow, but it could lead to bigger, better things. I know that it certainly did for me and for many others. That's why there's so many different autism diets, so many different books, so many different programs. Hey, if you're loving seeing all these toys and you can't wait to find out more about them, we've got more information about that coming to you soon. I also want to remind you that tomorrow is election day. And here at Autism Live, we just want to remind you that you probably feel pretty strongly about some things. And they may not be the same things as the person next to you or me or whatever. But I hope you will take the opportunity to vote and have your, vo vo your voice be heard, have your vote be heard, because that's the great thing about 
uh, voting, is that it's everybody's opportunity to have their say, and then we all get to take a look at that and go, oh, look, we don't all agree. That's okay. Um, but don't sit back and say it's all bad, it's all wrong, and not vote. Make sure that your voice is heard, especially for those of us who love individuals who are in the autism community. It's, it's really important because we, we have certain wants and needs in this community to help support the people that we love that are on the spectrum. And uh, we need to show people that we are a voting group of people that our opinions matter. So go vote. Uh, you know what they say, vote early and often. And hey, don't forget, because we had Austin Butner on here, if you're in the state of California, make sure that you, is it 26? I always get the, the number wrong. I think it's 26. Is it 26, Traven? Prop 26? It's the one about arts, funding the arts. I don't remember either. I think it's 26, but read it. I always do my sample ballot first, but read it and see you, we are in support, I think it's 26, of the one that is supporting the arts in schools and funding for the arts in schools. Hey, I just love you all. Brian, I see that you came in late. We started late, uh, but we were talking about healthy eating, so hopefully there'll be something there that you can find. Hey, tomorrow, unfortunately, we don't have Dr. Doreen Grampichet because she is overseas and uh, we, can't even, we can't even Skype, Zoom, anything with her tomorrow. So we're going to play an oldie but a goodie, but wait till you see what we're doing on Wednesday. On Wednesday, we have the amazing uh, Matt Asner who's going to be with us, and it's possible that his other half, some would say his better half, uh, Nava Paskowitz Asner will be joining him, and they're both pretty fabulous. I wouldn't say that one's better than the other ever. Um, they have a really important event coming up at the Ed Asner Center that they're going to be sharing big information about that you're going to hear a lot of talk about. On So that's on Wednesday. And on Thursday, we have Rachel Bird back for Let's Talk All the Things, which that will be super fun. We have so much to talk about. So that's And then on Friday, of course, Stories from the Spectrum. And we're working on a new version of Stories from the Spectrum with videos that just make me so happy. So all of that this week as we get ready, we're almost to the Festival of Toys. Not quite, but you can see it's coming. So I'll see you back here live on Wednesday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.